welcome back to Tab U. My name's Katrina and I'm your host today. Uh, I am back in the studio for season four. I'm joined by a colleague, chap, colleague, colleague. Uh, Sam, who has been called worse. <laughs> he's been with us several times now. Would you I like don't, to yeah, I've lost count now, but lost my count. name is Samuel Morris. I'm a lending associate at Tab. And our special guest today is Alex from DDRE Global. Special. Would you like to introduce yourself, oh, special please? Special guest. Special a guest. Special guest. Special guest. I like that. Um, should have said super guest. Super a super okay. guest. Yeah. Our super guest, uh, Right. I'm Alex Ivagora. Uh, I am a super prime advisor at DDRE Global, uh, formerly Daniel Daggers Real Estate. And thanks for having me. Welcome. Thank, Thank you. you for joining us. Um, today, we're going to be asking the top five questions on super prime real estate. And we'll kick things off with question number one. Which is quite simply, what is super prime real estate? Super prime real estate is uh, anything over 5 million or 10 million, depending on which company is uh, referring to the super prime real estate. So uh, there's a top four companies, Savile, Snipe, Frank, JLL, CBRE. Um, some consider it over 5 million pounds sterling and some will consider it over 10 million pounds sterling. But really it's the top end of the market. Just residential? Yes. Just residential. Well, I, I deal with just residential. I don't delve into the commercial. And if I do ever get an inquiry, like we do usually, you know, our clients like to do with one person. Yeah. Um, then we will refer it to a commercial agent. I don't... The DDRE don't work off the 5 million or the 10 million? Both. So well, where, do you, where do you Sorry, start? No. Um, we, do you with, <laughs> we do with 5 million plus. Yeah. We do. And we I consider it 5 million plus. Okay. That's super prime real estate. So the difference, what's the difference between prime and super prime? Prime, I would say it's between like two to five million pounds. No. Yeah. So it's quite simply just. Yeah. And then anything from zero, should we say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, up to prime is considered what we call core. Core. Okay. Core. So you've got core, prime, super prime, anything, uber, duper, uber, super prime. <laughs> Ultra. <laughs> super, no, super duper prime. Oh, super duper. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And what makes a house a luxury property? Subjective. Yeah. <laughs> so my uh, definition of luxury would be different to your luxury and your luxury, right? Your luxury would be different to my luxury. Um, it's super subjective. That's why, you know, we can't sell one property to everybody. It won't apply to absolutely everybody's needs, yeah, right? Makes sense. Every buyer has a different perception of what's good for them. So one person might want stables. One yeah, person too. might want a pool in their house. One person might not know how to swim yeah. and not care. One person might not know how to swim, but wants a pool because it looks cool to their friends and their family <laughs> and they want to show off. Some people are more subtle. Some people might want security. Some people might want a staff entrance or another staircase for staff so it doesn't affect their living. So they can sit watching TV. I can't lean too far back. So you might not be able to hear me. But... Oh, I'll move the mic with you. <laughs> Go on, get but, comfortable. You've got you to be comfortable. They might, you know, want to watch TV and not have staff interrupt, you know, their chilling out session. That's yeah, what you call yeah. it. I guess that's uh, another thing. You said staff. I imagine one house might need space for the staff as well if they're staying there Staff as well. accommodation. Yeah. Yeah, if they're living, it looks a bit different. different yeah, it, it, can be, it can be so many different things. One client said to me, luxury is a separate kitchen to uh, a separate living room. So separate kitchen to a living room. So not open plan, basically. Okay. Um, that's particularly, um, it's more prominent with the Middle Eastern and the Chinese buyers who might, well, 
even Greek people, I'm Greek, right? Uh, we smell, we smell, <laughs> we smell. <laughs> we All cook. Greek people or just you? <laughs> we cook some foods which can smell. Okay. That uh, is okay. what I'm going to say. Sure. So, you know, uh, my mum would even cook, uh, cook, she'd close the kitchen door. Uh, and have the extractor fan on blast, full blast so that, you know, it takes away all the smells. So yeah, that's yeah. luxury to some cultures, whereas other people might want to have an open plan kitchen living room. So it looks very different to um, each what I might say, yeah, to each person. And what has been your most favourite property that you've ever seen? And not your house. <laughs> I wish it was my house, but <laughs> annoyingly, I've seen so many amazing properties around the and globe. And what made now. it that kind of, what was luxury to you, was it like? even so i can't give away an address but we're selling a property uh in st john's wood for 110 million pounds it's thirty thousand square foot it's a house wow. uh, not an apartment <laughs> and um it's just incredible like ground and above it's just like a very ostentatious very large house you know then you, the moment you go underground it's just like you get transported into a different world or realm. Wow. It's incredible. Like there's a swimming pool three floors down wow. with double height ceilings and pillars on each side of, wow. of the swimming pool. And you can enter through um, like a mezzanine level with glass from floor to ceiling. And then you can see the pool down below. Oh, yeah. It's just incredible. And then on the left is the cinema room, which is one in the ward. And on the right is a, is a snooker room which is like a snooker room you've never been in before and a cinema room like you've never been in before. Like wow. it's just incredible. Every room you can see, they haven't cut any corners. Like mm. it just blows your mind. It's like one was, thing Was after. this developed as a, as a as a project by a developer to sell or was it no. someone's main residence at one no. point? That's a good question because um, when owners develop properties for themselves, that's when like the magic happens. Okay. When developers develop properties for, you know, a profit, I think that's when, not corners are cut, but you don't really get the real wow factor. I mean, or should we say the luxury factor? Yeah. Like you were asking what is luxury. When you see an ultra high net worth uh, individual create their ideal home, that's like real magic. Because then you will think, Jesus, I never even Where thought about they, that. Yeah. Like that's what this billionaire wants. Wow. That is wicked. That's what I want. Like, that is, that is <laughs> Emphasis <laughs> on the word individual there. Yeah. I guess it's, it's they've made it their home and, and they've yeah. put their own touch on it. And then so they decide, oh, you know, when I come to London, I'd like to stay in the Connell. So actually, I want to sell it. <laughs> I want 110 million. Yeah. So, you know, we get that change of mind a lot. And that's when we come in. Well, yeah. moving on, what is the most expensive property then? That one that you've ever that's sold? Ever, that I've ever sold? Yeah. Or that's, the been, oh, or that's ever been sold in London? In London, uh, that'll be two to eight Rutland Gate. Two sold for 200 million pounds yeah yeah insane wow. and it was bought uh i can talk about this because it's in the papers it, a saudi royal family member i think sold it and a, a chinese person sold it and then it hit the hit the news and well wow. yeah it, it, it was made like million. headline news yeah that's that's mega money that's a lot yeah that's uh proper so that was that prime. was the most expensive uh private residence was it the yes. largest house. private residence? What's the have you? What's the, the largest, largest you've oof, come across? I don't know what the largest is. The largest I've come across will probably be the one I just mentioned: thirty thousand yeah. square foot wow. house in central London. Do you think they'll That's add insane. it to open house? You know, open house. <laughs> I don't know. Actually. <laughs> it's like a thing that architects and stuff do, and you can open practice. They sometimes open practices, and you can open if you've got a particularly award-winning architecturally designed house. You can open your house 
one weekend in September and uh, the let, public can come showcase around. it. Yeah, oh, the public wow. can come around and Didn't go look at that. it physically. They yeah, actually yeah, come yeah, round. Yeah. yeah, you can get tickets and stuff. That's, that's um, all, it's a an good idea. Event it's, and... a, it's a whole event. It's a whole weekend. It's really cool. That's um, a good so idea. you can go into like I, I didn't know because I worked at an architecture practice, but we could we opened our offices so that everybody could come in and see the kind of room and our projects and how we work and stuff. But we I think Bloomberg was opened as well, so you could go in around the Bloomberg offices. I have to look that up. Like that. I'm going to really make cool. a note about that. Oh, so it's that's all different buildings. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so across, it's all across London. Wow. We we do we do quite a lot of open houses, so that's actually so event. I can advertise a house on open house, yeah, and then so. invite the general public, yeah, yeah, to and they come just and come around, it. and yeah, it's great for kind of I guess getting pe- other people in. That's really cool. Yeah, I didn't even hear about that. It's really cool. I, I'm a, I like whenever I go abroad in cities where the culture is open house viewings for things. I love just going along to them and seeing oh, the different. Cool. Yeah, you spent time in America, didn't you? Yeah. So so I, did you come across that quite a lot? I'm referring to Los Angeles. And okay. in Los Angeles, it's it's more than common for there to be open houses. Like every um, Saturday, right? Yeah, you could be driving down the road, and if you see a really impressive house with a board outside, and it's an open house, mm. there's nothing weird. Wow. There's nothing weird about going in there and just taking a look around, or at least I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. They, and they're we need very to bring accommodating. That to the UK. Yeah, they really welcome you in. They want to show you around. They they don't care who you are, what you look like, or even if you're in the market to buy the house, they will show you around. I love that. There sometimes is champagne and sometimes it's free lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Take note. Take note. (laughs) What's catch? Um, (laughs) Well, moving on to question number two. Yes. Uh, Do people with super prime real estate need mortgages? Um, Need. Uh, I don't know about need, but want. Yes. (laughs) They they want them because, um, believe it or not, and I know interest rates are rising. You guys would know more than me about that. Um, debt is still cheap mm-hmm. to these billionaires and ultra high net worth individuals, right? So why would they tie up 20 or 10 million pounds or 15 million, 30, 30, whatever it is, into one single asset instead of leveraging their money, uh, putting down, for instance, 15, 20, 25%, and then putting their money into other things as well? And don't forget, these people know how to make money. Yeah. They know what to do with their money. That's how they've made money. They don't work on. from nine to five. Oh, wow. They put their money in certain places. That does really well. And the money works for them. That, that's got me thinking like the, the general demographic. That's one of the questions. What, what is the general demographic of these buyers? So you're, you're, you're describing people that are interested in really working and getting their money to work. Could you elaborate more on that? Well, if you think about it, I mean, what UK or London property, should we say actually to be more specific, will perform at an average of about 10% per annum year on mm. year. So these people aren't making 10% per annum on their year. They might be making 100, 150%, 200% in some instances on their money wow. by maybe investing into, God knows, one of my clients into, I um, don't know how much I can go into it. <laughs> I'm sure he's one of the biggest <laughs> planet. We've got other clients who um, are in tech yeah. and they'll invest in a tech company which will blow up by 250%. Wow. A UK property won't do that yeah. in three years. Yeah. So they'd rather put uh, 5 million down, mm-hmm. leverage their money, and then put the rest of the money that they could have bought, used to buy the property in cash, into other opportunities where they're going to make more money. Wow. And that's how a not try net worth individual things and i'm learning more and more about that the more time i spend with them i take start making some notes i think yeah, right. <laughs> i'll just watch this on repeat until i'm ultra high net worth. well it's true right because <laughs> you can buy one property or you can go and buy four even mm-hmm. you know if you're not going to talk about investing into businesses or opportunities let's talk about property um you can buy 
four instead of one or three instead of one, right? If you've got mm. north, maybe you can buy more. And in the event that they do opt to utilize a mortgage, are these buyers using your traditional mortgage lenders? No. They're not? No. Usually it's a private bank that they have a relationship with already, uh, or Deutsche Bank or JP Morgan or EFG. I mean, the most uh, high street lender I've come across myself is probably Coots. Okay. That's as high street I've, yeah. as I've probably got. Is it harder to obtain a mortgage when you're a liquor super prime? So well, I'm not in that side of the business and I usually um, advise them to take their own advice. Yeah? yeah. And I don't tend to get into that at all. I try to stick to what I know mm. um, and what I'm best at. But I know that their, uh, the intricacies of their income, should we say, is complex. Yeah. And that's why I think they usually go to people, institutions they have had a relationship with for a very long time because they know their tax structure or income structure, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and they will then find the lending easier. But yes, it's probably very difficult to then go to a usual high street bank who, <laughs> who you and I might go to yeah. Nationwide or Clydesdale uh, and ask for that sum of money. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think, yeah, it's probably... It sounds tricky. like there's a, there's a slightly more limited number of options for lenders for them to turn to. And then, of course, you've got those intricacies surrounding their income that they mm. need to dive into. And yeah, so working with someone they've yeah. worked with before makes sense. Yeah, because um, if you and I were going to go to a, a bank, they're going to look at our pay slips or I'm self-employed. So yeah, yeah. they'd look at our last you know, tax return or need a letter of reference from my accountant. They'll look at my books. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think, I think, again, Sam, you might know more than me about this because you're in the lending side of things, aren't you? But Depends what you're going to say. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think um, they can even look at stocks and shares or um, other asset classes that the individual might hold and lend on the back of those asset classes too. Quite Is that possibly. True? Well, I, I know that I know the way that we would look at a borrower. While we don't lend um, mortgages as such that these buyers may be looking for for their main residences, these super prime main residences. I know that we will take into um, into account everything that might be on their assets and liabilities uh, statement. So, of course, things like those investments, those assets, um, those stocks and shares and things, we will look at. And we, I'd say we sell ourselves as a slightly more open-minded lender. Mm. We take a commercially-minded approach. And so if these kind of mortgage lenders are also taking a more open-minded approach, it is entirely possible they'll consider those assets as well. You go. It is possible. But yeah. again, that, that's not my sector. I think <laughs> this has given us all something to go away and research. <laughs> <laughs> um, so moving on to question number three. Well, yes. the main questions. Uh, how is the super prime... I'll start that again. Question number three. How is the super prime market performing given the current economic outlook? Okay, current economic question. outlook. The current economic outlook which is, if you go on the news, you know, if you put it's on the broad. news. It's broad. It is very broad. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's very doom and gloom at the moment. Um, if you go on, if you put on BBC. But uh, to our clients, that means opportunity. They like mm -hmm. that. Um, they're not so affected. In fact, they've liked the uh, recent... Um, gone blank. <laughs> the currency uh, changes we've experienced recently with the dollar. Mm. So US dollar holders, which is actually the majority of our of our client pool, uh, a lot of our clients hold their money in dollars because it's the central mm. currency. 
they've really taken advantage of the, should we call it a 30% discount that they've experienced. So, I mean, this podcast, you, you might be listening in a year's time from now. So we're on the 27th of February, 2023 at the moment. Yeah. And very recently we've experienced a, um, uh, a very strong dollar, should we say. Yeah. And dollar holders have been able to take advantage of that um, for the first time, I think, in decades. God knows how long. I've forgotten now. Um, was it since like pre-80s? They've uh, been able to buy property in the UK uh, at that sort of discount. Mm -hmm. um, £600 million sterling was sold to American to Americans last year in 2022. In London, is that is that to Americans or to no? That's Americans, to people not dollar holders. Oh, okay. So not to yeah. people transacting it. Trans no, transacting more than that. Dollars. I've forgotten the figure now. Wow. But that's just to Americans. Mm. And so when you're talking about the majority of these clients that are holding um, their wealth in dollars, mm. are you referring to people holding their wealth in dollars or Americans? No, that's people in general. Uh, people dollar, in general. When I say dollar holders, Un understood. that could be Middle Eastern people as well. Understood, holding understood. Holding the majority of their wealth in dollars or some of their... However, separate to that, £600 million pounds <clears throat> or $600 million worth of... No, sterling. Sterling, wow. Yeah. Of, of, of British property was acquired by Americans. In London. Wow. Last year. Wow. Leave, us, leave the number. rest of us for some. Oh, could you, oh, <laughs> I didn't realise you were in that market. I am, after I've gone and invested in some tech. Um, <laughs> is the super prime market more easily, more or less easily affected by the wider economic landscape? So I guess base rates obviously was a big one that's affected us. Are they touched yes and by no. it? Yeah, it doesn't mean it's in a bad way though. It, like when the, when the property market does this, there's activity. And when it does mm -hmm. this, there's also activity. And if you're not watching us on YouTube right now or, or seeing yeah, visuals, for those, for those my fingers are going <laughs> up and down. <laughs> yeah, for those on, I don't know, <laughs> Apple Podcasts. Non-visual platforms. Non-visual <laughs> platforms. Uh, technical term. Yeah, they like downward and upward graphs. Um, that's where opportunity lies. Um, and when the market's stagnating, that's when people usually like to wait or, I don't know, Nothing, not, Watch. not, yeah, not a lot tends to happen. Mm -hmm. Then there's more activity almost. in a down or upward market. Okay. Or, or bear, uh, bear or bull market, should we say, for those financiers. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, it, it is affected. Like the recent, you know, currency changes we've experienced. Yeah. Um, Brexit put a lot of people on hold. Um, that was a big one. A lot of people were waiting to see what was going to happen. And then not a lot really did happen. It didn't really affect the superprime market at all. Mm -hmm. Sorry if you heard a little ding. My watch just <laughs> hit the uh, microphone. <laughs> yeah. How does what's going on in the UK market impact? Uh, like, or I guess I'm thinking about the superprime. Like I'm selling sunsets. Okay, I watched that the other day. <laughs> um, how does what's going on in the UK kind of change people? clients perspectives and think oh i might go invest in this market or you know dubai's sort of i feel like maybe coming and got some nice fancy places as well um dubai's as, on fire at the moment dubai's yeah. the property market in dubai is meant to be really busy at the moment why is what that um i think a lot of russians are buying property there um yeah uh a lot of russians obviously were sanctioned mm -hmm. uh, in the uk and uh you know, forced their hand and a lot of Russians have left uh, Russia mm -hmm. and I think Dubai has welcomed them with open arms and so there's a lot of Russians there at the moment and I think that might have helped uh, heat up the property market there. The way our connections also, over there have described it is that it's it's the only, it's one of the only, if not the only, um, completely open market to all basically. 
they're, they're welcoming people of all nationalities from anywhere around the world to to still operate and invest in their markets. That's that's the way it was well, described still, to it, me. Incredible tax benefits there as well. Mm. Um, I think they introduced a VAT recently, or they're talking about introducing it. Have oh, I, 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 I need to. They're talking about introducing some taxes, but there's still you know the tax benefits of yeah being based. Basing yourself in Dubai is incredible. Yeah, certainly for people that are employed there, that's that's the obvious one. Always, people are attracted to go and work there for other people because of the income tax. Mm. And then on top of that, there's yeah, good weather reasons. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And seaside, seaside, hot sea is safe. Yeah, sorry, uh, but London's better. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever do you ever do any any business overseas? Do you ever do you sell property overseas as as well? We do as a business, yeah. I okay. I haven't personally, no. I'd love to. So your specialist um, location is London? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'd like to stick to what I'm good at. Sure. I want to, I don't want to, there's a lot of agents who call themselves a luxury, everyone's a luxury agent now, right? <laughs> Everyone, if you go on their Instagram bio, they're all a luxury agent, um, which is fine. You know, it's how they market themselves to try and attract the, the top end. Um, however, uh, a lot of them also, a lot of agents, I th- I find, spread, spread themselves thin by um, trying to deal with more than one country um, and they're not particularly the best agent even in London before they go to, I don't know, Cyprus, Dubai, New York, Miami, wherever it might be. And I think what, what, what I'd personally like to do first is to master London and I've mm-hmm. been doing this for almost 10 years now and I was born and raised in London. Sure. Uh, I'd think I know it like the back of my hand and um, I want to make sure I master it first before I do go international. And the th- what's interesting is, I'm sorry, Katrina, I know we're going off on a tangent. No, 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 I love um, tangents. But uh, <laughs> I love tangents. Um, but uh, what we're noticing is everyone is naturally becoming an international agent because yeah. the ultra high net, the ultra high net worth community like to deal with one person and one person only. So they want to speak to um, someone in London, or should we say even ten people in London? because the UK model is broken here, right? Mm-hmm. You can't speak to, in some instances, one agent who can go out and find a property for you. You might have to speak to 10 different agents, be put onto de- 10 different databases, receive loads of emails and phone calls from loads of different agents that will ruin your inbox. And um, they all have your name and it might be mm-hmm. a daily mail sensitive name too. So what people like to do these days or, or that community is to speak to one person and then that person will speak to all of the agents get all the information that's available in the marketplace, mm-hmm. send it to that buyer, uh, make a shortlist, arrange a driver, and then go and show them, go shopping. Mm. And that way, that agent, if they're good at what they do, they won't give out the name to the marketplace, you know, about who's really looking. Yeah, yeah. And again, it might be a Daily Mail sensitive name. Um, and how often are the agents that you, as the advisor on behalf of the client, are going out to. How often are those agents coming back to you saying, "How do we know that you actually do have a client? You're not just wasting all of our time." Do you, is there, you if you turn up to the agents' offices and, and they they're all selling multiple oh, properties, how do they know that they're talking to the right guy? Track record. And what if there's more than one person who claims they're representing the same client? That can happen. How do you that prove happens. you're the guy? No, that can happen. They usually just say, oh, "Sorry, we've already." got this person or we're already dealing with this person okay fine. and that'll be as far as it goes really mm-hmm. um but really it's down to your track record and that's why i'm saying i want to become you know you a know london really guy. good at mm-hmm. london first yeah. so at the moment if they say oh, i'm looking in this country too or can you help me with this do you know who the best person to speak to about that is i say yep yeah, no problem speak to this person here's his number or i'll create a whatsapp group please meet this person they'll look after mm-hmm. you mm. and maybe i'll get a fee maybe i won't depends on the relationship but 
that's why agents are now becoming international agents because their clients want to do a one person only um, and asking for them to service their needs as well elsewhere and because of the internet <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to question four yes how did you get into the super prime real estate market oh okay yeah. uh gosh do you really want to know it goes back oh, uh, yeah. a few years from the start <laughs> okay make, make it as detailed or concise as you like <laughs> Uh, you know, it's so funny because I want to get into podcasts and put out content, but I hate speaking about myself so much. But naturally, you have to kind of That's do why it. why I sit this side of the mic <laughs> and in this spot. Um, I'm going to be like, what about you? I'm, I'm no special guest. <laughs> <laughs> you serve a question. I've never just been a guest. Serve it right back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry um, about me. <laughs> <laughs> Enough about me. What about you? All right. When did your career okay. in property start? Yes. So tw 2014. So almost 10 years now. Next year will be 10 years. Um, I worked for a company called Edmund Cuden Booth Incorporating Bushels. I know. Hello, Sorry. Speaking. That's a mouthful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so now they're called Portico. Abbreviation. Edmund Cude. Okay. Yeah. Now called Portico, you said? Now called Portico. Yep. Have you heard of them? Name. Yeah, yeah. We see the boards up around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, they're quite big now. Yeah. They've done quite well since I worked there. <laughs> 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 Just kidding. Yeah. Just kidding. Um, so yeah, I worked there uh, as a lettings negotiator in the Camden office. I was there for 18 months, um, not a very long time. I quickly realized, uh, and also that was when um, I, I found Million Dollar Listings New York <laughs> and Ryan Serhant and Louise de Ortiz and uh, Frederick Eklund, <laughs> who, uh, yeah, if you go all the way to the bottom of my Instagram, you will see one of my like first of a posts in 2014 was like doing that Frederick Eklund kick after oh, okay. I did and, a deal in Camden. And you kept it on there. <laughs> yeah, I did actually. I know, I should probably delete that. <laughs> I'm going back to find it now. So, uh, anyway, I quickly realized that the best agents in the industry, you know, because of the internet, mm -hmm. I realized quickly and because of social media that all of the best agents were in central London. So I, I uh, decided I, I need to get to central London as quick as mm -hmm. I can. But I realized as well at the same time, I have to prove myself. I can't just go and work for one of the best in the industry and in their super prime team or in the private office mm -hmm. uh, at a certain company. So I applied for a central London role at a few companies. Um, a few things happened and I made a few moves and I ended up at uh, the biggest property company in the world, CBRE. Um, mm -hmm. More so for commercial though, but I was in the residential team in Covent Garden, again doing um, lettings. Mm -hmm. and uh, I broke the pound per square foot in Covent Garden. I worked my absolute tush off. Um, I was there for just under four years. Uh, I broke the pound per square foot in Rathbone Square in Fitzrovia. Uh, I broke an internal record, the highest ever billing for a letting agent in, in any one month. Mm. Um, I won't say exactly what it is, but it was well over six figures mm. uh, in one month, which was like incredible, seeing as our average fee was £3,500. Wow. Um, and I was the first letting agent to rent a property off plan before the owner actually uh, completed on it as well. Uh, so our sales team sold a property in Centrepoint, yeah. <clears throat> which is um, a grade listed building, if you don't know it, in Tottenham Court Road, pretty much on top of the station. It's really cool. A new restaurant there. Yeah. 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 The penthouse is uh, <laughs> or was for sale for about £55 million. Wow. Um, anyway, so uh, I know one of my, I knew one of my sales uh, team members had a property under offer. They hadn't exchanged on it yet. And mm -hmm. I had a, a tenant who knew of the building and said, I want to be in that building. And I said, okay, just bear with me. <laughs> I was speaking to his family office in Switzerland. Um, 
I'll let you know when something comes up. I kept in touch with him every now and again, you know, um, kept them abreast of what was coming up and, and not. Um, anyway, um, I kept in touch with the sales member, which a lot of agents don't really do. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got really good contacts in your office that you don't really know about sometimes. And they said, yeah, we've exchanged. I said, great, I've got someone lined up for you. Um, and we told the owner, he said, yep, yeah, you know, buy to let investor, no problem, let's do the deal. And we lined him up and we signed a contract subject to completion. And we gave him the keys the day the uh, landlord completed on the sale, wow. on the purchase. So um, then that started happening more and more. Um, I was doing block deals as well with rentals. Mm-hmm. So there were companies that would uh, rent a, a whole block of apartments um, and then sublet them in a illegal fashion. Uh, we know it was put into the contract that we knew they were you know, subletting them. Um, that was rent to rent. You know, mm-hmm. and now that's become really popular. Um, so yeah, I was doing things like that. I was getting really creative, and I got noticed. Yeah. And then I um, went somewhere else, which didn't work out very well. I was head of lettings at a certain company in Chelsea. So you know, I've gone from Camden to Marlborough to Covent Garden to Chelsea. So now you can see I've made a few moves, yeah. and now I know Central London really well. So you're slowly picking them all off. Yeah, and I'm learning. I realised that. Um, I need to know London and I, I realise what I need to do to become one of the best. Yeah. Anyway, so I do that, make a few moves, spend time in a big corporate, go to a small company, become head of lettings, get some managerial experience, then I start my own company. So I was doing that for eight months, running mm-hmm. my own business. Um, you know, small lettings and management company based in central London. And uh, I knew Daniel, Daniel Zaggers, and he... Um, started his own business too and he sat me down and I said, I want you to come join me. And I said, well, I can't. I've just started my own business. <laughs> you know, and I did speak to him prior about going to work with him in the private office at Night Frank. And mm. uh, he did want me, but things didn't work out. I did a, a character. It wasn't my character test. <laughs> I did. Um, I didn't have enough super prime experience at the time, which mm-hmm. is fair enough. Or sales experience, again, fair enough. Uh, it's the truth. I didn't. Um, so members of his team didn't want me, but we kept in touch. He mentored me from afar mm-hmm. when I had my own business. Um, and I, I, you know, he helped me through certain sticky situations and we built trust in each other as well from afar. He saw how mm-hmm. it worked. Uh, I saw that his advice worked. Um, and then he said, I want to come work with me. I said, I can't. But then that evening I said, okay, let's just do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to keep my business. Yeah. And then the self-employed, uh, agent was born at DDRE. Yeah. And here we are. And did you need any qualifications? Do you, I, if I wanted to get into it, would I need qualifications now? No, you don't need qualifications. I think they help. Um, if you're ALA, uh, if you're a member of the Association of Residential Letting mm-hmm. Agents or the Nas- National Association of Estate Agents, which is the sales side, uh, I think they might help uh, with general knowledge mm-hmm. and legalities here and there and processes. Um, you don't need them, no. You don't need them. If you can sell anything. If you can sell something, I guess, then, you know. It's not just it's not just selling. You need to know your stuff. You know, you're advising. Mm-hmm. You become an advisor. Once your track record's in a certain place, and I don't even think I'm there yet. Like, I've got major imposter syndrome even right now <sighs> doing this podcast with you guys. But once you get to a certain place in your career, people start asking you for your opinion. Mm-hmm. And if it was weird at first, you're like, oh, God, he's just asked me. I don't even know myself, you know. But then you think, oh, actually, you're not... I do know, you know, yeah. it starts going from, then your confidence starts building and your, so does your bank account and the fees and your career and people start calling you instead of you calling them for business and things just start going from there. So it's track record, really. It, it takes time. 
you have to go through the ship. Sorry, can you swear on this podcast? You can. Okay. Oh, well, you Sorry. just did. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> Cut that out. No, it's fine. We like yeah, it. Yeah, you, you have to go through that painful process to get to that certain level. And then you become an advisor. And then you start giving advice yeah. to these people who have done better than you at life, which feels really weird. But yeah, I hope that helps. Does yeah, that answer yeah, your yeah, question? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah that does. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. Um, and then I guess, well, seeing as you've been in it for a decade, question number five. Oh, yeah, almost, yeah. How has this sector changed within the last decade, almost? Oh, God. It's um, a good question. I wish I'd been in it for 20 years and I can really tell you because, you know, I obviously just got into it uh, nine years ago or so. Um, I know money's got younger. That's something I've seen. Okay. Money has got younger. Like when I first started, I had to wear a tie <laughs> and I had to be clean shaven. Yeah. God, it's coming back to me. Uh, <laughs> I remember one of my colleagues who is actually now one of my best mates. He's going to be the best man at my wedding, uh, oh, Charlie. Oh, wow. He came in. Shout out with, to Charlie. Um, yeah, shout out to Charlie. <laughs> he he came in with a bit of fluff on his chin uh, one oh, morning no. and his director, the sales director, came into the office because we were in the Camden office and the head office was in Camden too. So we saw the directors quite a lot and they'd check up on us. Not that we were naughty or anything. <laughs> and um, he literally made him go and buy a razor from Sainsbury's down the road and shave. <laughs> yeah, at work. So it was that strict back then. Whereas mm -hmm. now I, I think having a beard is quite cool and it's become more... Yeah, I saw you smile there. Yep. Yeah, it is cool. <laughs> I like your beard too. I Sam. agree. Yeah. Well, Owing the fact that I didn't shave for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, money's got younger. Sorry, let me just go into that a bit more. Um, so if I wore a tie now and was clean shaven uh, and even wore a Cartier Santos 100, some of our buyers might not like that okay. with a double-breasted suit. They mm. genuinely might not like that. They might be a tech entrepreneur wearing an, uh, an eye watch and have like fluffy hair that's not gelled and slicked back like mine. Yeah. And I'll come across as really greasy, right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, too yeah. slick. And they won't like that. And too mm -hmm. proper with the tie. And oh, yes. Hi. Nice to meet you. I'm Alex from DDRE Global. Yeah. yeah. You know, they don't want that. They want someone who's cool and chill wearing jeans. So, so out of interest, if you come across a client like that, do you change your approach? Do you change your image? Or are you are Alex. I am what I am. Yeah, without sounding too much of like a, a, a gecko, that's the lizard that changes, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Million. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Million, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they're all the same, aren't they? Part of a gecko family? No, my housemate loves. No, chameleon. Yeah, so without sounding too much. Yeah. Of, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, yeah, without sounding too much like I mould myself too much. Yeah. But yeah, I try to, you know, appeal to who I'm in front, of, especially if I'm, I'm on a pitch. Right. Imagine you're, sure. imagine you're pitching for a twenty-five million pound house in Mayfair. Mm -hmm. you're going to want to try and build a bit of a rapport, aren't you, with your future client or prospective, mm. uh, you know, potential future client. So, yeah, you want to mould the conversation around them and find common ground. Yeah. And if that's removing a tie, it's removing a tie. I hate ties. <laughs> I do wear a tie sometimes. But do you oh, put yeah. one on for certain clients? I do. Yeah, I do. I'm not going to lie. And actually, I'm going to start wearing them more, especially for videos. You know the videos okay. I do? Have you seen the videos I did? Uh, on, uh, on your socials and yeah. things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On my and social is. and digital channels. Yeah, the introductory sort of videos I do to our, our listings. Um, I'm going to start that? wearing ties more. Why is that? Why are you going to wear it more? Do you prefer the way I just feel looks, like our or? clients deserve it. Like, you know, they're paying a lot of money to, a, you know, we're an expensive mm -hmm. agency and they're paying a lot of money to have us represent them. And I feel like they deserve that. Mm. Um, 
I've it's contradictory. In in the past, I have said I admit I hold my hands up. That uh, I think it's because I'm annoyed <laughs> with having you know having been made to wear a tie every day all day for like ten hours and be at a desk. Um, that I then went off when I started my own business. I was like, no, business owners don't wear ties. You know, I wear it for myself. I'm not an employee. Um, but no, I've, I might even go back to that a little bit here yeah. and there. Yeah. So where do you see the sector going in the next ten years? Where do I see the oh, sector many. going? Ties. <laughs> ties. Ties. <laughs> I see ties and clean ties. shaven. <laughs> yes. Where do I see the sector going in ten years? In in terms of what, like, um... uh, do you think there will be? Well, actually, this is an, another question. Um, is there always just property on the market and that comes up, crops up every kind of year, there's a new pool of properties? Or do you kind of see the same property each Actually, year? no. I'll tell you, I'll tell you well, that, for lettings, potentially, yes, but sales, not so much. But I'll, I'll tell you where I think it's going. I think the um, representation uh, of a buyer buying a property in London will become more prominent. So it's very big in the States, Canada, Australia. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to become much more prominent here, having someone represent you in the marketplace. I think that's also outside of the super prime. Yeah, uh, yeah, up to a certain level. Um, I think if you're, yeah, I think so. It's going to become it's going to become more common. I think it'll be a trickle down effect. Yeah, I think some people want it and some people won't. Mm. Um, my dad won't want it. He's a control freak. <laughs> he likes doing everything himself, even cutting the grass. I think he's mad. You know, <laughs> I'm into more delegation. But anyway. Um, like, I think that's part of the reason why agents have such a bad name in the UK as well. Really, like, we don't work for the buyer. It's bad. Mm -hmm. We work for the seller. So, and also we, we employ um, young professionals with little experience and incentivize them. And they'll say certain things to get a deal done, which I don't think is entirely good for the industry and, and for our names and our reputations. Anyway, so I think people want to be represented by one person. Um, the agency model in the UK is mm -hmm. broken. You might have heard Daniel say this a lot. And this is why we got on so well when we first met. We agree on this massively. We both spoke about it on our social media, mm -hmm. which is how actually we, we met over Instagram. We both saw each other from afar and got to know each other. Um, you know, you have to go through a, a web, one, uh, sorry, not one, four different websites, Rightmove, Zoopla, mm -hmm. on the market, prime location, just to make sure you haven't, miss something which you might like in the location you're looking in and you have to speak to 10 different people you know knight mm -hmm. frank savills uh barnard marcus foxton's mm -hmm. you know all of these different agents and they put you on the database and they call you every day then their offices in the areas next door to them will say hi you just spoke to my colleague would you look in this area too yeah. just a quick call you know leave loads of voicemails it's a nightmare Mm. It's a nightmare. It's like a full-time job trying to buy a property in, the, in in London or in the UK. Like it's, yeah. it's nuts. So I think that will happen more. I can. It's like a no-brainer. I just. It just takes the consumer to realise it. It just takes time. Yeah. And they will. You know, when America coughs, we catch a cold. Or is it sneezes? <laughs> What's the saying? Yeah. Sneeze would make sense. Like I don't know the saying, but I know what you mean. They're exactly years ahead. Yeah. They're, they're, they've got it down to a T. Out of interest, the work that you do leading up to a successful acquisition for the client because correct me if I'm wrong that that's that's the side you're working on you're helping the, the buyers buy property as well as the sellers sell okay, property fine. yeah we so do both. at the point in the in the event you're helping someone buy a property and you're going around the market to see what's for sale on behalf of your buyer at what point have you started earning your money because it's a lot of time it's a lot of work 
presumably you won't actually get paid until a deal is done, until your client Correct. finds the property they bought. Correct, so, that's it. I guess on the flip side, if you're trying to sell something for someone, at what point do you say, I'm not the guy for you because it could be any reason for they have unrealistic expectations for what they want, want to sell the property for or... That's really rare. Reason. I, I can, you know what? I'll give you because an example. You're acting in the role I've of got... an advisor. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Fine. So, so would you we say really, that you uh, steer things Sorry, for carry them? on. Keep, sorry. Do we steer things to them? Yes, we do. We do. I'll give you an example with a, a live case study at the moment. Mm -hmm. And um, if my client listens to this right now, they'll have no problem with saying with it, uh, it because they've even, they, they know they're a difficult client. Um, there's a property in South Kensington. Um, which we are selling and it's my client um which i've got through my own personal network mm -hmm. actually um they got referred to me by an old colleague of mine um who was a graduate at cbre um and i gave him a lot of uh, time and attention and got quite close to him mm -hmm. others might not do that that's their choice i tend to um look after people and help people up. I, it's like the law, I, I see that as the law of the universe. Like if you want to go further, you've got to help people up yeah. on the way. And I think the universe looks after you back, whether it's the universe or God or whatever you want to call it, some higher power. I, I That's <laughs> my belief. Karma, whatever. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Nachas, I think. <laughs> some all, people call it. I think we're all talking about the same thing when <laughs> yeah. we get onto this topic. Everyone's yes. just got their own translation for it. But I think, yeah. You see what I mean? Anyway, so I did that. And energy. then this this energy, <laughs> going to keep coming up with words. Now. Yeah. Um, this uh, person I'm speaking about moved countries um, to Singapore, mm -hmm. and I'm really grateful. He's got, uh, uh, I think they're his client too. They said we've got a property in London. We're trying to sell. Um, do you know who might be the best place to help us? And he said, Yeah, speak to Alex at DDRE, uh, and he connected me with them. So, you know, even your your colleagues of today might be mm -hmm. people that send you business in 10 years time. So keep good relationships with everyone. I always say that, you know, make good friends with everybody you can. But yeah. uh, anyway, without going off on too much of a tangent, th this client... Katrina loves the tangent. <laughs> I know, she does <laughs> like a tangent. Um, so th this particular client, uh, again, built the property for themselves uh, or refurbished it, sorry, shall I say, it's an apartment. And um, they had very high price expectations mm -hmm. and they did... They did. Get, <laughs> <laughs> they did get. Um, I don't know what the word is. Refused or turned down by uh, two or three other agents because of expectations uh, on pricing. And I feel like I'm the agent they can come to, and I will do what other agents can't be bothered to do. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's because I'm self-employed or on a higher commission or because I'm just more driven. I don't know what it is, but I love it when it's like doing a viewing on a Sunday. I love it because I know other agents won't do it. Mm. They'll be hung over or <laughs> in the park or I don't know, God knows, with their family, fine. That's also a good thing to do. It <laughs> sounds like you and the DDRE team, there's a, there's a theme here and it's that you're trying to do things differently or not trying, you are doing things differently. Yeah. That's what sets you and apart. I, we are doing things differently. Loads of things. I mean, that's mm -hmm. a whole other tangent in itself. <laughs> uh, but, uh, is it being positively received by the industry? Yeah, it is. It is. I hope so. What do you think? I like the way you guys work. And I, I like the way that the company's presented. It's nice. It feels it feels like there's a sense of individuality with every agent. 
I don't necessarily know the setup behind the scenes. We, mm. well, you've now told us that you are self-employed. Um, mm. You're running your own business within DDRE. Yes. Um, and so I, it doesn't matter whether DDRE is above you, but we're talking to Alex. Yes. That, that's the sense that I get. And that comes across in a lot of the marketing that I see DDRE putting out. Correct. Yeah. And that allows me to speak to even clients in a certain way that I'd like to speak to them, whereas others might not be able to speak to them in that way. They're constantly so, representing the company they work for. Yeah. As much as I am an ambassador for DDRE Global, um, I am very much my own boss at the same mm -hmm. time. And if I don't want to take on a client, I don't have to take on a client. Um, so it becomes more of like a, a want to take on the client, but on my terms too. Mm -hmm. So I'll say to this particular client, you know, I can be very frank with them and they also respect that I'm the director of my own business. <clears throat> uh, you know, as opposed to saying, oh, I want to speak to your boss, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. you know that that will never happen. Yeah. And if you say, look, yeah, I can take on your property, but it's going to take a completely unorthodox approach. I can help you achieve a premium, but you're going to have to, listen to everything I say <laughs> and yeah, yeah you, you steer them in the right direction like you There's said that element of trust and that's, in you, that's what I've got going on now this is a live case study I'm selling a property um, um, I won't say which one um, but um, it's in the South Kensington area there's a few so you know be able to identify which one it is and challenge um, accepted <laughs> <laughs> they want to achieve a premium they've been um, turned down by a few agents mm -hmm. and I said to them you know, I'm going to do something completely different that no agent will be up for because they might mm -hmm. run around doing loads of work, loads and loads of work, loads of previews, showing loads of agents around, taking loads of content, posting mm -hmm. on social media, speaking to buyers, like six months worth of hard work on one two bedroom apartment mm -hmm. that's still a super prime property because it's been refurbished to the nines um, to then end up with no sale and no client. But I know that if I put in all the work and show them the facts and mm -hmm. the figures, we've done this, we've done that, we've done this, We've done what you wanted. It didn't work. So I did this, you know, yeah. lay it out. And we showed them the technology which we've built in-house, which no other agent has access to, mm -hmm. which I won't really go into now. Um, I'll let's save that for another time. Um, then Not I know too. that they're going to say, you know what, Alex, you're right. We should take your offer of X. Let's do it. You know, yeah. you've done this many viewings. That's been the feedback. You've done an open house. You've done content. We've reduced the price. Mm -hmm. We've done off-market. You've exhausted that avenue. You've mm -hmm. done this. You know, yes, you're right. We should now do that. That's how, that's, um, there, I trust in my I trust mm -hmm. myself that I can help my client arrive there. So I feel like I'm the agent that will go above and beyond, um, and that's different to other agents who just want a quick sale. Yeah. So I look forward oh. to operating in the super prime market one day. <laughs> well, I was going to say you're my guy. Luck. You'll probably get a few grey hairs, but it's worth it in the end. <laughs> I, I like the look. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that ties us off very nicely because I was going to say, where can people find you? At Alex underscore Evagora on Instagram. Um, I'll say that's my main platform or Alex Evagora on LinkedIn. Well, soon to be podcast platform as well. Oh, yes. The three entrepreneurs. Uh, my uh, friend and colleagues, Ollie and Benji, have asked me to mention it. So <laughs> check out the three entrepreneurs uh, podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube and Google. Perfect. Yeah. And Thank you. anything else for any more? So, Nothing from me. That's right. been really informative. Well, Thank you. Thanks for having you. me. Coming yeah. in. Thanks Thank you. both so much for joining us. It's been yeah, good. I've got a lot to um, research. <laughs> and uh, All those tangents. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking no forward to it. If there's anything I can do to help, let me know. Oh, <laughs> thank you. And thanks to all of our listeners. I hope you enjoyed it and I will see you next time. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe and all the details will be in show notes. Bye. <laughs>